This is the Smart Communications Smart Communications Smart Communications Podcast. Developing the voices, voices, developing, developing the, the voices, voices of determined nonprofits. Brought to you by Big Duck. Welcome to the Smart Communications Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Durham, and I'm here today with Sandy Zimmerman. Hi, Sandy. Hi, Sarah. Sandy joined the Big Duck team in 2013. She's been a designer and more recently an art director on our staff. But before that, she had a long and magnificent career (laughs) doing design work for a host of clients on a freelance basis, many of whom were nonprofits. So you've you've worked on all kinds of branding and production and and reports and all kinds of things. That's right. Yeah. So I invited Sandy to come on the podcast today to talk about freelancers because not only has she been one, but in her job at Big Duck, she regularly finds freelancers and manages them. And we've observed that sometimes organizations really get a lot of benefit from freelancers, but many organizations really struggle to figure out where to find them and how to use them. So let's dig in. <laughs> Great. So Sandy, what kinds of projects should a nonprofit think about hiring freelancers for? Freelancers can be great for finite projects that are well-defined, like a print project, like an annual report or e-news, newsletter, print newsletters, things like that. Event collateral. Yeah, event collateral. That's right. Gala invitations. You know, I think from our perspective, when we create a brand and a brand toolkit, what we often see and envision is that the nonprofit organization will then hire a freelancer to use the tools that we set up to implement materials within that brand. Yeah. Often, if you're debating whether or not to hire an agency or a freelancer, I would say one of the big differences, which is a different way of what you're talking about, Sandy, is about shelf life and also about depth of expertise. It's not that hard to find a great freelancer who could design an event invitation or an annual report. It can be challenging to find a freelancer who can put together a really complicated project like maybe a a large-scale website or a sophisticated brand. And those are projects where not only is the work potentially more complex and you might want more expertise, but also the shelf life of that relationship might be much longer. You might need to continue to work with that partner for a much longer period of time. So where should nonprofits look for freelancers? What's the best place to find them? Because I think that's often a thing that people struggle with. My number one tip for finding freelancers is word of mouth and exploring your own networks. When I was a freelancer, as Sarah mentioned, for many years before joining Big Duck, I had tons of projects that came through kind of one after another. I got hooked up with one organization and then somebody else through them would find out. And that was great for me. But it's also great for the nonprofit. Even if you don't think you know any designers, you can reach out to your friends who work at nonprofits or peer organizations. You can look at the materials they've created and see what you like and see who they worked with. And I think that's definitely the most comfortable route to find somebody who's been tested and vetted. Otherwise, there are many ways you can go online and search through larger pools. So there are a couple of job sites that I know you've used when we're using freelancers here or you're recommending. What are some of the websites for finding freelancers? There are a few different ways to go. There are sites like Behance, which is a huge portfolio site of all different kinds of designers and artists, and they're partnered with Adobe. Are designers posting portfolios there? Yes. So you can browse through portfolios. You can search with all kinds of filters. 
There's the AIGA, which is the Graphic Design Trade Association. I think it's the American Institute of Graphic Artists, AIGA.org. Right. They have job listings that I think are a great place to go. And then there are other kinds of platforms like Upwork, where you can post a gig and have people bid on it. So Behance and the AIGA website are a little different because they're actually platforms that are really built for creative people. You can post your portfolio or AIGA is a trade association that graphic designers join and belong to. So it's quite possible that you as a nonprofit could go there and proactively find somebody and contact them, or they might even have a paid area where you could post a listing. It's a different kind of community than an Upwork or a Fiverr. Those are for-profit websites that you post an add-on, don't you? And then they take a transaction fee. Yes. And yeah, I think those sites can help you with things like taxes and you don't pay the freelancer directly. So it could potentially take away some of the logistics of paying and working with a freelancer. So those are great options if you're a smaller organization, probably. Yeah. And another one that I failed to mention is idealist.org is a great site that is specifically for nonprofits. So there are many designers out there who are looking specifically to work with nonprofits. And that is definitely a go-to place to list an ad as well. Yeah, idealist.org is definitely the first place we also post job listings if we're hiring at Big Duck. And we've gotten some great creative people, perhaps even you, (laughs) who came through Idealist. Just to add a little more depth to the conversation about the paid platforms, I've had some experience with Upwork. And the way that Upwork works is you post an ad or a brief. So you can say, I need somebody to produce a video for me. And you post a little bit of information about your project. And then people in the network can bid on it. So people basically submit proposals to you. So what often happens in these sites is that It's just creating a way almost for you to do like an RFP to different freelancers. And then it's up to you to choose who you work with, but they take a transaction fee that is what, 2.75% the processing fee. So that could be pretty significant if you're looking for a long-term relationship. So let's say you've surfaced some freelancers. How do you vet them? How should a nonprofit go about assessing if some of the people who've applied to do the project are a good fit? The first thing you are going to want to look at is their prior experience and see some samples of work that they've done. It'll be reassuring to see if they've done projects that are similar to the kind of projects that you need help with. And you also you want to make sure that their work is professional looking. If there's a certain tone of voice that you're looking to express, that might be something to look for in prior work that they've done. You'll want to eliminate anyone who has sloppy typos in their work or broken links or things like that in their portfolio. Those are red flags and good ways to just eliminate people. Yeah, I think one of the great things about living in a digital moment is that you can get a real sense for how the work looks with a graphic designer and their detail orientation just from their website. Most of them will have a website and at least you can decide whether or not their quality is up to your standard or their creative capacity is up to your standard. The other piece, if you're looking for somebody you might work with for more than just a very discreet moment, though, is also chemistry and the way that they're able to collaborate with you and the people in your organization, sort of, are they a good culture fit? Do you have any tips for that? 
Yeah, I think it's good to get on the phone with people, even though email is so easy and might be the way you end up communicating with that person. It's probably a good idea to start your relationship by having a phone conversation, if not an in-person meeting, if you're in the same location. I think also it's good to find out a little bit about their work background. I don't know that asking for references is necessary because you will have the opportunity to test them out on a limited project basis anyway. But sometimes it can be a little hard to tell if work that you're seeing on somebody's portfolio site is a school project or something they made up or or something that's actually real. So I think it's also good to see what they've done that's in the real world. I think one of the things you can surface in a conversation that might be useful is whether or not they are approaching the work that they do as problem solvers or as implementers, task implementers. For instance, if you're doing a project where you just need somebody to take a template that you've already created and flow your newsletter and make a bunch of production changes and get it done, you want an implementer. You want somebody who's like a short order cook, who's got, you know, very high accuracy and you can give them the work and they will get it done as quickly and reliably as possible to your specifications. But if you're doing a project that's a little bit more nuanced or sophisticated, you might actually want a problem solver, somebody who really listens to the underlying challenge that you're trying to address and not only gives you a solution that is what you think you want, but maybe gives you other kinds of solutions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. How would you probe for that? What kind of questions could you ask a freelancer when you're talking to them on the phone that might help you get a sense for how they approach their work? Probably asking about other work they've done in the past and how they typically go about working with clients and maybe have them describe some of their favorite projects to you and what that process looked like. Mm. And their role specifically. Was it your idea? Whose idea was it? How important is it for you to generate the ideas, et cetera? Yeah. So the last piece we should touch on is some of the logistics because I think that there are a couple of variables that nonprofits may not always be aware of when you hire freelance creative people. Sandy, what are some of the logistics that you try to tackle when you're managing freelancers? Some of the things you might come across are how you pay them, what kind of pay structure you're going to work with. Are you going to give them a project fee and let them determine how many hours they need to put towards it? Or can you pay them by the hour? It's helpful for the freelancer if you have a set budget in mind so that they can determine what they can do with your money and give you an estimate of how much you can expect within that budget. You'll also want to think about the intellectual property of the work. It's such an important topic. Yeah, I mean, the intellectual property in the creative world is generally owned by the creative person. So if I hire a freelancer to generate 100 logo ideas, unless I specifically have it in writing that we own those ideas, they own those ideas. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So having some sort of contractor agreement where you specify the payment terms in very explicit terms, the intellectual property, a lot of freelancers will work on what's called a work for hire clause, which basically means that you own any of the work that they produce on your watch, but you'll want to have that language correctly put into any agreement. What other logistics are worth keeping an eye out for? So another logistical item you will want to think about is if you need a non-disclosure agreement or if there are confidentiality issues that go with your project and make sure that you get all that paperwork taken care of before you actually start the project. 
Yeah. So your organization probably already has a standard NDA agreement and sending that to a freelancer, even before you tell them too much information about the project is completely standard and par for the course. So I think what we're saying in all these logistical points too is don't just get on the phone with them. They sound good. You agree on an hourly rate and you go try to get some of those things in writing. And if somebody's really a true professional, they should be able to write it up for you. This is really their business and you're you're their client. So certainly encourage your freelancers to do the lift to put together an agreement that specifies who owns the intellectual property rights, exactly how and when they get paid, any confidentiality issues and any other issues that might be unique to your organization that you want to make sure you you have an agreement about in writing. Sandy, any parting tips, anything else you want to make sure that people think about before they hire a freelancer? I guess the final thing I would want to mention is that if you have an ongoing need for work, I think it's great to find a freelancer who can be a partner with you, who can really learn your brand and produce things in a consistent way. So rather than finding one person to do one job and another person to do another job and that risks having your brand look unprofessional or inconsistent, having your audiences not recognize you. Finding one person who is ideally dedicated to your mission and excited to work with nonprofits will serve you best. Yeah. And then the investment as they get to know who you are, how you like to work, what your communications preferences are, that investment pays off over time. It gets to be faster and faster to work with them. It may even be worth putting that person on a small monthly stipend or retainer so that you know every month you've got a certain number of hours of their time and you don't have to kind of start from scratch every time you have a new project. Mm -hmm. Great advice. Okay, Sandy Zimmerman, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Hey, this is Sarah Durham. If you are like me, you are probably listening to this podcast on your iPhone. And a lot of people don't know that you can rate and review podcasts pretty easily on an iPhone, but it's a little bit buried. So I wanted to tell you how to do that. And I'm hoping that if you like this podcast, you'll take a minute to scroll down, rate it, review it, maybe share it. So what you do is uh, click on podcasts on your iPhone. That's the podcast app. And then open up your library and click on the Smart Communications Podcast. You'll see all of our episodes there. So if there's something you've missed and you want to go back and check it out, you can do so there. And as you scroll down, you'll see a section that's called Ratings and Reviews. And in that, you can give us anywhere from one to five stars. And you can even write a review or you can share the podcast with a friend. So I hope if you like it, you'll take the time to do that, to share it, rate it. And um, we're also always eager to hear what you think directly. So don't hesitate to drop us a line. You can email us at hello at bigduckNYC.com. That's hello at bigduckNYC.com. Thanks for listening. This is the Smart Communications Podcast, developing the voices of determined nonprofits. Brought to you by Big Duck. Big Duck is an agency that puts smart communications in the hands of nonprofits. We help our nonprofit clients develop strong brands, strong campaigns, and strong teams that advance their missions and achieve their goals. Connect with us at BigDuckNYC.com.